The regular season has come to an end, and it's time for the Classic League Baseball Playoffs. I'm Matt, here with Classic League Commissioner Jason, and we're here with Inning 7 of Dead People Baseball to get you all the info you need as we head to October. Let's not waste any time. Dead People Baseball starts right now. Jason, we've made it through the 18th regular season of Classic League Baseball, and now it's time for the postseason. How are you feeling as we get ready to crown another champion? I feel like the postseason is going to be just as tightly contested as the regular season was. Um, you know, the six teams that are in there, are there was really no surprises. I think um, some of the teams that maybe started off weaker you know, like Wormtown, Cleveland comes to mind, played really well down the stretch. You know, Wormtown, especially going from pretty much having a, a under 500 record for the majority of the season, all of a sudden the last month of the season got themselves above 500, ended up winning that division relatively easily considering how close it was. It was certainly a roller coaster season with almost every team staying in contention until the very end, just like you said. And we're going to cover it all with this episode. Casey Rydell will bring you the first pitch and give you the final stats for the year before we head to first base where we'll revisit our picks for breakout players and look at a couple records that were broken this year. At second base, we'll have all of our award finalists. We're talking MVP, Cy Young, Rollades Relief Man, and the Manager of the Year. After a very tiny dipper at third base tonight, we'll give you a preview of the postseason with all the matchups and maybe some predictions. And then we'll bring it home with an update on the offseason, eligibility of new players, and all the deadlines for changes that teams might want to make. Anything to add before Casey kicks things off for yeah. us, Jason? we got a lot to talk about, so let's get into let's it. Let's go. Thank you, Matt and Jason, and let's get this final first pitch of the regular season taken care of for you. First things first, let's give you the final standings for 2022. Starting with the Lightning Division of the Hobbs League, the Wormtown Warriors took the division with a record of 79-75, and 75, while the North Coast Crashers finished six games back at 73-81. and 81. The East Point Elites were right on their tail at 72-82, and 82, but finished in third. In the Oak Tree, the Twinsburg Tornadoes finished on top with 90 wins to 64 losses, good for the best record in the Classic League. The Athens Bobkittens were 10 games behind them, 80 and 74, and the Brentwood Bearcats were 75 and 79. The Gramercy Ghostmen took the Cornfield Division of the Kinsella League with 89 wins and 65 losses. The Harvey Wallbangers were 74 and 80, and the Sarnia Sting finished 34 games out of first with a record of 55 and 99. In the Moonlight Division, the defending champion Limerick Hurlers took the crown at 81 and 73. The Cleveland Spiders finished one game back at 80 and 74, while the Raleigh Fingers lost steam at the end and had a record of 76 and 78. 
Matt and Jason are going to be talking about some of the stats at first base, so you're getting an abbreviated version of our final stats. We'll start with our batting champion for 2022, Josh Gibson of the Harvey Wallbangers. He finishes with an average of 365, beating home run Johnson of Athens by 13 points. While Johnson hit 352, Chino Smith of the North Coast Crashers hit 351, good for third place, and then Frog Redis of Raleigh and Cleveland's Ty Cobb came in fourth and fifth, hitting 348 and 345 respectively. Gibson also led the league in runs scored with 133, edging out Oscar Charleston by one run scored. Gibson also also led the league in home runs with 50, with Babe Ruth coming in second for the Tornadoes with 45 homers. Lou Gehrig of Cleveland socked 42 long balls, Raleigh's Barry Bonds hit 41 and tied for 5th place with 39 homers each were Mickey Mantle of Gramercy and Albert Bell of Harvey. Ty Cobb swiped 72 bases in 2022, good for 1st place, beating out Eddie Collins of Gramercy by 10. George Van Haltren had 59 steals for the Bearcats of Brentwood and Billy Hamilton of Twinsburg rounded out the 50-plus club with 51 steals. Home run Johnson was plunked more than anyone this year, getting hit by 34 pitches. The 2022 Classic League season saw four pitchers win 20 or more games. Rube Waddell of Gramercy, Satchel Page of Brentwood, and Max Manning of Twinsburg all had exactly 20 wins, and Ed Walsh beat his Tornado teammate by a bunch, finishing with 27 wins on the year. We had a tie for the ERA title between Satchel Page and Limerick's ace Addie Joss. They had ERAs of 3.27 this year. Three Finger Brown of Brentwood and Slim Jones of Athens finished at 3.29 each, and Webster McDonald of Wormtown was fifth in ERA with a mark of 3.59. Lots of saves in the Classic League this year as four closers ended with more than 30. Takashi Saito had 31 for the Athens Bob Kittens. Trevor Hoffman saved 36 games for Gramercy, as did Billy Wagner for Cleveland. Boyd Hoyt Wilhelm had the most saves this year, closing the door 38 times for the Twinsburg Tornadoes. Lastly, we had six pitchers strike out more than 200 hitters. Here are their names and their strikeout counts. North Coast's Roger Clemens had 205. Brentwood's Pedro Martinez and Satchel Page had 209 and 210, respectively. Rube Waddell struck out 229 batters for the Ghostmen. Harvey's Sandy Koufax sat down 236 hitters on the year. And Slim Jones of Athens caved 251. Last but not least, it's time for the Ballantine Beer Player of the Week. <laughs> Babe Ruth had a strong stretch run for the Twinsburg Tornadoes, and the first player of the week of the season also earns the final player of the week. George Herman Ruth batted 357, socked four clouts, and drove in 11 runs in the last 10 games of the regular season, helping Twinsburg earn the best record in the league. Congratulations to Babe Ruth and his Twinsburg Tornadoes. <laughs> I'll have one more first pitch for you after the World Series is over. For now, it's back to Matt and Jason over at Dead People Baseball. Thank you, Casey, and what a season it was. We'll get to the playoff preview later at third base, but for now, let's take a trip back to the second inning of Dead People Baseball where we made some predictions about players who would have breakout seasons. You know I'm starting with Barry Bonds, Jay. We finally got the Barry yeah. Bonds season that we thought we'd always have. Yeah, kind of... Picked him to 
just out of odds, you know, figuring he had had too many disappointing years in a row where it, it was time for him to return to his original form. I think when he first came into the league, he, he was close to what we expected out of him, you know, throughout his real life career. And, you know, this year he delivered, which is good to see because when you have a, a expansion team coming in and they're putting a lot of, uh, you know, um, trust in that type of player to deliver, you, you don't want to see him, you know, fall flat. Right, exactly. Who are some of the other players that we talked about at the beginning of the year? I think uh, I gave, I kind of gave you the, the green light on those. So you have to take us back and, and let us remember what uh, what we said. Yeah, so there's one, one player for every team. Um, I'll kind of go through some of the guys that I feel like put up, also put up big numbers like Bonds did. Uh, Hank Aaron for Sarnia was coming off a bad year. Uh, he, he had a really good season this year. Um, Not the MVP I predicted, but, no, uh, but still a no. great year for him. Yeah, uh, Smokey Joe Williams of East Point um, ended up finishing off the year with with uh, pretty solid numbers, um, you know, and, and that's a guy that's won a Cy Young before and and is an All Star, so it was good to see him, you know, come through, you know, on the on the better half of what he can do. Um, and another guy that stands out is Jeff Tesro of North Coast. He's kind of an under the radar guy, um, but it seems like he usually puts up you know, top of the rotation numbers when he's on Greg's team. And he did the same thing this year. And I think he was a big reason why uh, North Coast was fighting for the division for as long as they were. Because I feel like him and Clemens, um, you know, gave him good seasons. But unfortunately, a lot of the other pitchers didn't come through. So it was kind of like every time those two guys would pitch, you know, he had the offense to put up. Um, wins, but you know the pitching kind of let him down a little bit this year. And knowing those guys can do that definitely help him going into next year as he builds his rotation. Yeah, I think his core is much stronger this year um, going into the draft again. So I, I think uh, I look for him to, to again strengthen through the draft. What else you got? So some guys that I feel like uh, I picked were guys that hadn't really gotten starting roles in the past. And almost all of them put up pretty solid numbers to the point where I think they'll be certainly redrafted again mm -hmm. and and may even have a repeat starting position on another team next year. Um, some of those guys were Roy Oswalt of Athens, yeah. who had a solid year. Fred McGriff of Brentwood had good power numbers. It's two years in a row for him with yeah, good power. I, I think uh, you know he's not going to give you much defensively or, or batting average-wise, but you know he's not a bad guy to have hitting kind of on the latter half of the middle of the order. Um, Brett Saberhagen, huge year for Cleveland. That was my pick for him. Um, I think he exceeded what I expected in terms of breakout. I figured he'd be a guy that would eat a lot of innings, um, but I think in terms of wins and ERA, he 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 did awesome. Uh, Doc White was the pick for my team. I ended up trading him to Harvey. He had a pretty solid year. I think he's going to be... It's hard to find good left-handed starters, and he can pitch a lot of innings, so I feel like he's a guy that'll be in people's rotation. Uh, Tony Lazeri for Harvey, big power numbers at second base. You know, I, I think he's a guy that should be on people's teams, um, but you know, he wasn't even getting drafted for a number of years. Yeah. So for him to get full-time starting and put up those numbers, I think that's uh, a cool thing to see. 
Leon Day had a solid year for you again. I think he he's uh, fit, fits well in your rotation. Yeah, I think with him the the wins will come. I mean, he had uh, kind of a bad one loss record, but yeah, but he, his ERA was good. He was in that hunt for a long time. Yeah, and I think if his ERA is low and he doesn't have the wins, that's certainly not going to be his fault. Doc White was kind of the same yeah. way. His ERA was low, but had more losses than wins. Um, and then the other two were Twinsburg, Ryan Sandberg. Okay, offensive year. I thought he'd do a little bit better offensively, but uh, very strong defensively. Um, you know, one of the best defensive second basemen in the game. So I think that helps Twinsburg's pitching staff. And Roy Halliday of Wormtown got off to a slow start, but finished pretty strong. And I think is one of the reasons that Wormtown was able to put together a hot streak down the, down the stretch. You know, he was one of those pitchers that uh, at least kept his team in the game every time he went out to pitch. Absolutely. So there's there's those you know I mean you you kind you called you called it you uh you were pretty dead on with what was gonna happen and and what you thought those guys could do so I mean obviously running the game the way you do it it definitely helps uh, seeing that stuff day in day out and kind of gives folks an idea of of what to look for when uh, when it's time to draft yeah and and credit to the owners that picked them and gave mm-hmm. them a chance too I mean they obviously saw something in those players as well. So we did end up having two records broken in Classic League Baseball this year, starting with the innings pitched record, which stood for almost one entire season. <laughs> Rube Waddell set the mark last year. What was his number? It was uh, 310? 312? I think it's 312. And uh, Ed yeah. Walsh blew right by it. Walsh finished with 319 and two-thirds innings pitched. How great of a year did he have and his arm didn't fall off? It's awesome to see him bounce back and and be the Ed Walsh of old. If I'm not mistaken, I think he was the one that had the record that Waddell broke last season. So yeah. he came back lit a fire yeah, under him came and came back, back strong. That back, you know. And I think it, you know there was a running joke on Twitter with uh with Twinsburg's Twitter account about Pop Fisher, you know, always fighting with him to take him out of the game. Um, you know, I, I think he, he had a lot of complete games, but even the games that he didn't finish, he often had, you know, eight eight and third, yeah. eight and two thirds. Like he was always very close to a complete game, it seemed like every time he went out there. Now a record that actually has been in place for a while. Mule Suttles of the Wormtown Warriors broke the single season doubles record, I think by one, right? Yeah. And it was in the last game of the season. It was. And he got so he got fifty beating uh, Judd Wilson and he had done that what was that, ten years ago? Twenty twelve? Twenty eleven. Twenty eleven. So And and I and I will say you know, Garrick got got a rest. The last game of the season, Cleveland had had clinched the wild card, decided to rest his players the last game of the season. So for all those years we were waiting for a player to hit fifty doubles, very realistically could have had two guys yeah. do it in the same season. Uh, but unfortunately, Garrick didn't get that uh, last one. Um, you know, he, I think he had three games or, or so to do it and then got rested in the last one. But yeah. Suttles got there. And it's cool to see um, Yul Suttles get on a, a, a record, the records list because he's been a consistent power uh, player for ever since he entered the league. Yeah. And I think he's uh, in some ways underrated in our league. Yeah. There were some other potential records that could have been met, but the the triples record stayed safe, and the home run record wasn't even really approached this year. Um, What record do you think is least safe going forward? I mean, 319 and two-thirds, that's... That would take something crazy to beat, but we said that last year, too. You know, yeah, I think... I I could see the innings pitched record being broken again, you know, because there's, there's a handful of guys like Walsh, 
you know, Rube Waddell, um, you know, Addy Josh. Well, I mean, Addy Josh was in a five-man rotation, but there's a few teams that throw four-man rotations. They have guys like Christy Mathewson on my team. He, you know, he, his player card is like over 300 innings because he, you know, the era that he pitched in. Um, you know, I, I, he's come close before. Ed Walsh, I think, could break his own record. <laughs> it, it depends on it depends on a lot of things, but I think because of the amount of teams that have those types of pitchers with four man rotations, I could see that being broken. Um, I can see the home run record being broken. I, I, I think it's very easy to see a player get to 60. Um, I, I think we're just kind of seeing a, a little bit of a downturn in terms of, of home runs. You got, I think, more guys hitting 35, 40 plus, but less guys getting close to that 50 mm-hmm. mark. Um, Which we could see change next year, depending on who comes in the league, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh, any last thoughts before we head to second base? Um, no, let's talk about who those awards finalists are. Sounds good. As Jason mentioned before the crack of the bat, at second base, we're going to announce the award finalists for the 2022 regular season. We've got three finalists for each category. So Jason, why don't you get us started with our manager of the year finalists? Many deserving candidates Absolutely. this year, you know, with as, as well as all these teams played. Um, but the finalists for manager, and again, I'll read all these in alphabetical order. Uh, our first finalist for manager of the year is Wormtown's skipper, Lou Brown. Of course. Good old Lou. And I think, uh, also with the way that Wormtown closed down the stretch, that's well, uh, deserved. Uh, the second finalist is Twinsburg skipper, leading them to a best record, 90 wins, Pop Fisher. And the last finalist is the Kinsella top team, Gramercy, uh, Buck O'Neill. Nice. That would be kind of magical <laughs> if Buck O'Neill got it, being uh, finally inducted into Cooperstown this past summer. Uh, so that's who I'm rooting for. Um, but but I think, I mean, like you said, any one of them is deserving. Uh, Wormtown turning it on down the stretch. Twinsburg with the best record in the league. And then uh, Gramercy doing what they always do. So... Um, that's a that's a good start. So now let's go through our three closers for the Rollades Relief Award. All right, our first finalist is Gramercy's Trevor Hoffman. He posted a 164 ERA. Uh, he had 36 saves and 41 chances, giving him a percentage of 878. Second finalist is Cleveland's Billy Wagner. Had an ERA of 3.21. He also had 36 saves in 44 chances for a save percentage of .818. And the third finalist, Twinsburg's Hoyt Wilhelm, had a 3.44 ERA, led the league in saves with 38 out of 46 chances for a .826 save percentage. Three very dominant back-end performances you love to see those names. They're always around. Um, no Takashi Saito. I love that guy. He, he was uh, certainly in the running, but had some tough uh, tough competition there. All, all, all those guys were lights out. You know, this, this is the first time I'm hearing these as well. Uh, so I, I put in my notes, like, any surprises? No, no surprises. No surprises there for the uh, Rollades Relief Man. 
How about our Cy Young Award finalists? Cy Young Award, again, another category that I think had, you know, probably four or five deserving uh, candidates. Um, But the three that made it into the finalists were Athens Slim Jones with a 3.29 ERA, won 19 games, lost nine, and led the league in strikeouts with 251. Brentwood's Satchel Page with a 3.27 ERA, as you mentioned earlier, or, or was it Casey? Casey that was Casey Rydell. That was earlier. not me. It was the Golden Pops Right, I couldn't remember. Of Casey Rydell. I, I get them confused. They sound so much alike. Uh, but he, he, him and Addy Joss have a share of the ERA title. So he had uh, 20 wins, 9 losses, and 210 strikeouts. And the third finalist for the Cy Young Award, uh, Twinsburg's Ed Walsh with his renaissance season, a 4.05 ERA, 27 wins and 7 losses, which is the second most wins in a single season in uh, Classic League history, and 198 strikeouts. Not too shabby. Nope, not at all. And, you know, with with the way that defense can be in this league sometimes, the way that he was able to get those wins and keep his ERA in good shape, it's an impressive season. I'm not sure if anyone has a chance to beat him, but uh, again, that's not your choice. That is Stratomatic's choice. And uh, last, but certainly not least, our MVP finalists. All right, the big award, most valuable player. First uh, finalist is Cleveland's first baseman, Lou Gehrig, at a three uh, three thirty three average. 42 home runs and 155 runs batted in to lead the league. Second candidate, or finalist, I should say, Harvey's uh, catcher, Josh Gibson, uh, won the batting crown with a 365 batting average, also won the home run title, hitting 50, uh, hit his 50th in the final game of the season, and had 117 runs batted in. And our third Finalist is Twinsburg's Babe Ruth, um, with a 304 batting average, 45 home runs, and 124 runs batted in. Now, i got to be honest. I thought we might be hearing Ed Walsh's name again there in that MVP race. Was that... So, yeah, he was in there. Um, and the way that I look at this is I, I do play a little bit of a role with um, the, you know, the guys that get chosen. Part of the reason, there's two reasons for that. Part of the reason is the Stratomatic game is very random with some of the, the awards that they throw out. Ed Walsh was in the finalists there. He had not been in the running at all, like for the like the last month. Oh, wow. And then it just kind of showed up. After his last <laughs> start in the last game of the year, all of a sudden he was up there. So I look, I look at that. I take factors in like who were guys who were really leading their teams to where they were. Not that Walsh isn't deserving, but I also think that MVP should usually be a guy that plays every day, position player. So, you know, I think even last year, looking at the year that Rube Waddell had at pitching, it was like if there wasn't a hitter who dominated and Josh Gibson did, he mm-hmm. led Harvey, you know, to the playoffs. Waddell was also, you know, in the running too and probably could have won it. But, you know, leaning towards guys that sh- that play every day. Absolutely. Second factor that comes into that more so with, like, Silver Slugger and Gold Glove. Some guys that play every day at a position, um, Superman Pennington is an example. Everyday third baseman for uh, Twinsburg. 
doesn't get ever listed in the third base category because it's not his main position. Mm. So sometimes Strat, I don't know why the game does that, will not put guys in the positions that they play if they're considered, quote-unquote, out of position. And so that kind of screws everything up because guys will put up these great numbers and won't even get considered for it, yep. which I think sucks. Yeah. So I like to go through and check numbers and kind of make it realistic to to what it should be. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll tell you, that MVP race, that could go any way. I mean, with with Cleveland making the playoffs, Harvey not making the playoffs, you could see Gibson getting snubbed or however you want to look at it. Um, so that's definitely, I think that might be the most interesting race uh, when it comes down to it, when we find out the winners. The winners for that will be announced via the Classic League Twitter feed on Sunday, October 2nd. So make sure you're following at Classic League 05. You'll find out the four big winners. And then when will Silver Slugger and Gold Glove be announced? Uh, same day. Same I'll, day? I'll do okay. it all at the same time. Very good. And that'll also be on the front page of ClassicLeague.Weebly.com. And something to add to that while yes, sir. we're talking about Silver Slugger and Gold Glove, uh, since we don't have finalists to announce for that. One interesting thing and uh, that I that I noticed on the Silver Slugger Award is that out of the nine positions, which is all the regular positions plus DH, not a single team had a repeat. So there's Whoa. like nine different teams with, you know, a silver slugger. Wow. Which is crazy. I, I can't remember the last time that's happened. Wow. That'd be interesting to see those results. Does that do it for second base? Uh, yeah, let's, let's move on to the dipper. All righty. On to third base and a... Quick, easy drinking dipper tonight with your grandpa's favorite beer, Miller Lite. Now it's time to preview our postseason matchups. We've waited all season to get here, had some amazing battles down the stretch. So let's look at what we've got starting on Tuesday, September 27th. In the Hobbs League, the Twinsburg Tornadoes earned a first round bye and also had the best record in the CLB, so they will hold home field advantage throughout the playoffs. They'll face off against the winner of the wildcard matchup between the Lightning Division champion Wormtown Warriors and the wildcard winner, the Athens Bobkittens. This will be an interesting matchup, Jay, as the Bobkittens actually finished with a better record than Wormtown. Yeah, unfortunately for Athens, they still have to go on the road, right? You know, because division champions hold home field advantage. It's a short series, you know, best of five in, in the, the first round. Uh,. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't. It, it doesn't get much more even than these two teams. Mm -hmm. I, I could definitely go either way. I think uh, Wormtown's going with a three-man rotation. Athens going with a four-man rotation. So that'll kind of you know ship things a little bit as it gets later in the series because you'll see different guys facing up against one another. So every game you know will be kind of different. Um, and with Wormtown having the home field advantage, I mean that could be the slight edge that that uh, you know plays a role in in making a, an impact. No prediction just yet, so don't don't go to the prediction portion. We'll we'll come to that uh, later in this base. Um, but first, let's go over to the Kinsella League, where the Cornfield Division champion Gramercy Ghostmen earned the first round bye, and we'll have two Moonlight Division foes facing off in the wild card round. The defending champion Limerick Hurlers take the home field advantage in a matchup against the Cleveland Spiders, who just beat the Hurlers three times in a row in the final series of the season, but they only kind of beat the Hurlers in those last three <laughs> games, right? That's true. You know, you're resting your guys, which is always a smart move when you have the division uh, sewn up, and 
You know, I think uh, it, this is a fun one, too, because you got division foes, you know, only separated by a game in the regular season. Um, I, I feel like your head-to-head -head matchups kind of go back and forth, um, you know, but we'll see how it goes. You know, you, the, the veteran uh, experience could, could play the role <laughs> for, for the Wimmer Curlers. Yeah, it'll definitely come down to who gets, that title. Yeah, and who gets hot right off the rip. I mean, that's... That's a big thing. You look at you look at the hurlers. They we started slow. Tris Speaker took forever to get to three hundred this year, and uh, so uh, watching that will be will be interesting. So now let's go ahead and talk about some predictions. Okay. So let's look at that first round over in the Hobbs League. Who's going to take that? Athens or Wormtown? Uh, again, man, I, I this is as even as it gets. Um. I think if I had, you know, if I had to choose a team, I, I well, first of all, I think it's going to go five games. Okay. And because of that, I feel like home field's going to play a big role. However, Athens is also going to have Slim Jones, you know, if it goes to a fifth game, throwing that fifth game. I'm going to go with Wormtown just uh, because of, A, the home field advantage, but B, they were probably, if not the hottest, you know, certainly one of the top few hottest teams down the stretch. And, you know, basing that off of like last season, Harvey was the same way, kind of had a huge month um, or hot month at the end and took that momentum right into the playoffs. So uh, based on those things, I, I, I'm going to go with Wormtown. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to go the opposite way. Okay. I do think, uh, I think you're right about the five games though, but I do think the, it'll come down to Slim Jones, you know, Slim Jones will be on full rest at that point and his, Number one, or his number two starter would be pitching for the second time, possibly on short rest. So that's, that's true. Yeah. yeah that's so true. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Athens in the first round uh, over the um, Wormtown Warriors, um, but then they're gonna run into the Twinsburg Buzzsaw, and uh, I, I pick I pick Twinsburg to come out of the Hobbs Division. I would, or the Hobbs League, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, the Hobbs League. I, yeah, I would I would say the same thing. I, I think Twinsburg is the favorite. They were my preseason pick to win it all, so you know I'm gonna stick with them. Um, you know, not, not to harp too much on that first round matchup, but, uh, not only in that fifth game would Slim Jones be going for Athens, but Wormtown's actually going, actually made Webster McDonald their second starter. So oh. that would be the matchup in game five, which would be one, you know, glorious matchup. Absolutely. The two best going at each other. Nice. All right. So over now in the Kinsella league. First round, Limerick versus Cleveland. I'll uh, I'm gonna pick Limerick. Uh, oh really? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think my boys are gonna do the work they need to do. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to agree with you. I, I think um, at at the beginning, you know, in the preseason, I, I had originally picked Cleveland to win the division. Um, I still feel that they have a strong team, but I think with the trades that that you made at the trade deadline, that that kind of put you back to that championship contender roster where uh, it's going to be difficult to beat Addy Joss and Reb Russell. Like, those two guys are, are seem to come up big in the playoffs. You know, I, I think uh, just your your pitching strength is going to be what I think uh, gets you to get past Cleveland. And then will I get past Gramercy? It will be my Limerick Curlers, your Gramercy Ghostmen yeah, for the Consell League title. Way. I mean, obviously, I'm never going to go against myself. I have home field advantage, and I, I've got the pitching to match your pitching. It's true. So we'll yep. see. I, I, I'll go with myself. I'm sure you'll go with yourself. And 
Who knows? Maybe Cleveland will beat us both. <laughs> right. And 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 I'll and I'll go right back. To, you you mentioned the beginning of the season. I predicted it would be the Twinsburg Tornadoes defeating my Limerick Hurlers in the World Series. And as much as I would love a repeat title, I just think the best team in the regular season will take advantage of being able to set up their pitching staff, have the home field advantage, and I think they finally get over the hump. After, yeah, I'm going to contradict myself after just saying I never <laughs> go against myself. But in a sense, I'm still not going against myself because at the very beginning of the year, I, I picked Twinsburg. Um, you know, they finished with the best record. Manning and Walsh and Ruth and, and you know, guys like Billy Hamilton hitting almost, fit, I think, 14 or 15 home runs. And his team has just clicked on all cylinders. Uh, you know, he he got over some rough patches here and there. Pop Fisher, you know, he was in the hospital. <laughs> but he was in the hospital a lot less than he was last season. So Win one for the popper. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that team um, is really starting to shine uh, with what we expected them to do uh the last few seasons and and yeah i think uh this i think this might be their year okay what else anything else about the playoffs we want to talk about before uh we head home i'll quickly just talk about the format uh first round five games that'll be a two two one uh with you know off days in between each of those uh and then the championship series and the world series both seven games um you know and that'll be the uh the two three two format, so yeah, yeah, and the the playoff schedule is all posted. That's that's uh, on the website as well as uh, our Twitter account. Sounds good. Let's head home. All right, Jason. Now we get a chance to look past the World Series and set things up for the Classic League off-season. We need to find a sponsor for the off-season. We don't have one of those yet. Maybe Ted <laughs> Williams Fishing Lures or something like that. Uh, yeah. First things first. You sent out a league email recently about a big change for the eligibility pool of Classic League baseball players. Why don't you start with that and what it means for players like Moonlight Graham? Okay, that's uh it's a big it is a big change. Um there's a lot to go with it. Uh Basically, what we're doing is setting a minimum amount of at-bats and innings pitched to be eligible to get into the league. We've had similar rules in the past. Uh, I know... I think it was a five-season rule, or yeah, three or five. Yeah, when, yeah. My, when at, towards the end of Mike's tenure running the league, he changed it. I changed it back. Uh, but then after, you know, kind of running the league for a while... You see how it gets away from what the intention of the league is, and that's to try to get the best players who ever played the game to all be in a league together. And naturally, teams are going to try to find edges to, to win. And we started seeing teams try to draft guys that had lo logged like one inning or seven innings or you know five at-bats and have like these gaudy numbers. Um but ultimately, it doesn't work. We've talked about how and why that doesn't work numerous times. Um, but, it, you know, every year teams try to do it. So I decided to just set a limit. Uh, every player that enters the league has to have a minimum of 500 career at-bats or 100 career innings pitched. But that can include the Classic League, too. So that kind of grandfathers in some of those guys that didn't have those major league or uh, Negro league numbers, but it, it does limit, um, you know, players like Moonlight Graham or 
I think uh, Chris Sines was a guy who got drafted this year. I know Raleigh took a couple guys that had, you know, like 12 at-bats or something. So those guys can no longer be drafted. Uh, we also put a limit on retirement. Uh, the retirement rule used to be if they had not played the previous year and weren't under contract, you could draft them. That was originally a rule because of the steroid era, creating this gray area of retirement. But now I think most of the time guys are, are announcing their retirement. And if they haven't played, it's usually because they have like a serious injury or like a serious like criminal charge. And I think we, we needed to make sure that, that we're not letting guys into the league until their career is definitely over. So now guys have to have a five-year uh, like off period if they haven't announced their retirement officially before they can be drafted. And again, it's going back to the original intention of why this league was created is to try and get the best of the best in the league and not have like these flash in the pan, like weirdo players that, right. that get in. So you, you mentioned that and that, I mean, Albert Pujols is a guy that we assume is going to retire, but it'll be weird if he doesn't full on announce it. You're saying you got we gotta wait, right? And on top of that, if he doesn't announce it before the classically draft starts, then he's not going to be eligible until the following season. So yeah, there there there's some uh, some leeway in there, and yeah. but again, I think looking at our pool of players, I mean we've got hundreds of players that have played in our league and have contributed. Um, and some of these guys are not getting second chances that should be getting second chances, Hall of Fame players, mm -hmm. you know. So I, I think we, we're trying to encourage uh, teams to look more into the established players in this league um, and also why we're allowing, you know, guys who have had success that don't meet those minimum requirements in the major leagues may meet them in their classic league mm -hmm. careers. And, and, you know, that's a way to kind of compromise that, um, you know, diamond in the rough action. Yep. So we do know that uh, we will have 12 teams again for the 2023 season. So that means no expansion. What does that mean for protected lists and the draft order? So protected lists will be eight players from your current 40-man roster. Um, not allowed to sign players, uh, you know, once the regular season ends, you can no longer sign players. You have your 40 man protected lists are due on November 1st. So between now and the time you submit your protected list, you can, you know, work to trade some of your guys on the 40 man, um, to formulate your eight man. Once you decide on your eight man protected list, those guys can be moved as well. Um, draft picks for the upcoming season can be, uh, traded, but only this coming only draft. Only this uh, coming draft. And, and anything that's traded can't officially happen until the World Series is over. Um, you know, we'll talk more about uh, the team coming in. But, you know, Sarnia Sting is, is exiting, uh, which is unfortunate. But I understand it. They didn't have a lot of success this season. And I think kind of had a misunderstanding of, of, of what the league was. Um, but you know, I think it's, it's cool to see everybody, everyone, everybody else coming back. Uh, and I think a lot of these, uh, teams that, that have had success this year, but also our expansion this year, I think everyone feels like they have a little bit more of, of a solid grasp on how to build a good team, how to build a good core, 
and I, I'm this might be the most excited I've ever been for an offseason, not just for the new players coming in, but also for the owners, you know, all all 12 essentially having a pretty good idea of how to build a good team. And because we'll be going with the standard draft order every round, we will not do a snake. Right. That gives that gives it even more possibility for great picks to come around for yeah, you. Yeah, we got the six the first six picks are are locked in. I don't have them in front of me, um but I know uh you know the new team that's replacing Sarnia will have the first pick, so that gives them a nice um advantage coming in to get themselves some stability. Um you know, and then two, three, four, five and six I think are all separated by like a single win. <laughs> yeah. Like, so it was very close. Yeah. Um as we mentioned, we assume that we'll have Possibly one of the most anticipated new players in Classic League and Albert Pujols uh, joining the league. We could also have a couple of his Cardinal teammates coming to the league. And Yadier Molina and his battery mate for what seems like 40, 40 years now, Adam Wainwright. Um, thinking about guys like that, where do you think they kind of slot into the draft? Are those guys that are going to be... Mm. and Are they going to be hotly wanted? Or are they going to be guys that maybe take in later rounds to fill out some spots? Wainwright, I, I I don't really know. I I can't say that I've really tested him out a whole lot. I, I I would say no. You know, I think Molina defensively is good, but there's a lot of really good defensive catchers from, you know, like the golden era of baseball. That I I don't think he's that much better than some of the other guys that are coming in. You know, I think he'll be kind of similar to Posey defensively, but Posey's obviously better offensively. And as we saw, you know, he. He he didn't put up the offensive numbers that he you know put up in Major League Baseball. So I I would think Molina would probably be an offensive liability. Um, there's a few other guys that are that are coming in that I think might make an impact. Um, you know, we'll I'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to our draft preview episode. But you know, I I think really Pujols is. The game changer. You know, I don't think we've seen a player like his caliber since like Alex Rodriguez or, or Barry Bonds. So it's it's been quite a few number of years before or since we've seen, you know, a, a player retire and come into the draft expecting to go, you know, number one. Yep. Any other changes you think we'll see for teams going into next season? For instance, the North Coast Crashers saw an increase in their win total from 21 to 22 by switching uh, from Dodger Stadium to Oakland Coliseum. Um, do you think there's anyone else that could take advantage of some new dimensions or some other kinds of changes? I've heard some some rumblings from teams. I think we're going to see some ballpark changes for sure. How many, I don't, I don't know, but there are definitely teams thinking about changing their ballpark. Uh, we're moving up the deadline for that. In the past, I would give teams until, I think, like February 15th, like a month before um, spring training, to change their ballpark. Uh, I, I'm going to move that to January 1st, uh, just, you know, kind of right after the draft mm -hmm. starts. And, you know, then that kind of gives, um, with the soft start that we have on the draft and on December 1st, we might get into, you know, a half three quarters of, of the way mm -hmm. through the draft before they would have to make their selection. But the thought behind that was, I don't really like the idea of picking your team and then looking at your team and being like, well, now I'll change my ballpark to fit the team that I picked. This this way we kind of you know get that out of the way where, where you're picking a ballpark that should fit with you know any team that you're trying to build, um, but also creates that possibility of, 
a little bit of yeah. maybe I'll change my part because I didn't get the guys I wanted, but I didn't want to overdo it to the sure. point where they got like two months to decide. And again, only one team per ballpark, so you know anything that's already taken can't. So I mean, even if someone wants to switch to say Fenway, they can't take Fenway right now, you know. So it doesn't even it's, some of that. It might not even matter. Um, what else? I, I I feel like we've covered a lot. Is there anything else we need to touch on before we finish up this trip around the bases? There was a question about shifting rules because, mm. you know, that's changing in Major League Baseball. Um, there was never any shifting rules in this in this league. Like, shifting is not something that happens in our league. Uh, basically, we use the same, the same Major League rules um, that I would call classic baseball rules uh, have not changed. Uh, you know, we, we still use the, the the oldest rules that we can to the point where it's like, you know, whatever it was back in 2005 when this league was created it is never going to change. We're always going to keep the standard, like, classic rules. Um, it's also why we, you know, I give owners a chance to kind of build their uh, on-field management um, stipulations a little bit. But we don't get into what's called like the super howl and like the bullpen logic and like you're not managing your team on the field. You are a general manager. You can kind of set your strategies where if you want to be like more aggressive on the base pass or, you know, something like that, you can do it. But, um, you know, the in-depth changes that you can make in the game, we just don't make that available to teams because that way everybody's kind of uh, on a level playing field on the field and the battle between the owners is how do you build and strategize your lineups and things like that that's right well to me that sounds like a home run that's it folks inning seven is in the books and it's time for the playoffs to start Remember to watch at Classic League 5 on Twitter this coming Sunday, October 2nd, for the announcement of the award winners. Keep track of the playoff box scores at classicleague.weebly.com. And join us next time for the eighth inning of Dead People Baseball. I'm Matt. He's Jason. We'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.